You're listening to Gruesome and Unnatural, a true crime podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Gruesome and Unnatural. I'm Shelly. And I'm Eric, and this is episode 26. Yeah, back in for another episode. I'm surprised you came back. You were a little, uh, we were editing that last episode. You seemed a little, a little angry. Did not like that story, did you? Heather Kwan and Ryan Waller. Do you yeah. remember that one? Oh, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Well, I'm glad you're back. Mm, me too. For another awesome episode. I'm excited for this one. I hate to say excited, but... I'm excited to tell you this one. Are you ready? No. <laughs> and thanks to uh, everyone for tuning in every every week to listen to these episodes. So let's get into another one. Even though I hate these stories, I do appreciate you guys listening. Yes. Oh, sweet. <laughs> so this is about the murderer. Her name is Nellie Mae Madison. This she, is about a murder? Murderer. She's She killed. Weird. <laughs> Shut up. Okay. So Nellie Mae Madison, although her maiden name was Nellie Mae Mooney, was born April 5th, 1895. So we're taking it back quite a while ago. In Red Rock, Montana, to her parents, Edward Mooney and Catherine Doherty Mooney. And she had two uh, older siblings, I believe. Her parents were originally from Ireland, but in the 1880s, they moved to the United States near Dillon, Montana, to start a new life and to start up their sheep ranch. Growing up, her family was Catholic, and Nellie would learn about the Catholic religion from a priest that would come to their house uh, every often on horseback. Living on the sheep ranch, Nellie had to do a lot to help with, you know, the family and the ranch and everything. And, it's a lot of work. Yeah, right? Yeah, and she was taught at a very young age to do all this. Um, she was also taught to shoot rifles and ride horses, and she was involved in local rodeos. Nellie was extremely skilled when it came to riding horses, but excelled in shooting and was known to have incredible precision, so much so that she was known to the locals as a quote-unquote, like, crack shot. Nice. And that was before she was even a teenager. Crazy. Although when Nellie did hit her teen years, 13 to be exact, guess what she did? What do, what do you think 13-year-olds do back in the what, 1800s? 1900s, I guess. Uh, she got married at wow. 13 years old. Yeah, she got married to 24-year-old Ralph Brothers in October of 1908. Cowboy Ralph. That's what he was known as. They eloped in Ogden, Utah. And when Nellie's parents found out about this marriage, they were so happy. No, I'm kidding. They were pissed. She's 13 years old, and she married a 24-year-old. They were pissed. They decided to take matters into their own hands, and they got that marriage annulled. And they brought Nellie back home and took her where she belongs, so that way she can get back into like her studies and school and stuff like that. In 1912, when Nellie was 17 years old, she decided to leave Montana and make her way to Boise, Idaho. Nellie then enrolls herself in Lynx Business College, and meets a man by the name of Clarence Kennedy, who was a firefighter. In 1917, when Nellie was 22 years old, the two married, and this marriage only lasted for two years. In 1919, they ended up getting divorced. Whoa, Nellie. <laughs> oh, my God. 
<laughs> oh my god. Okay. Uh, so yeah, Nellie was a, a very busy woman. And she found another man after that divorce, Wilbert Trask, who went by Earl. And he was a mechanic. Earl was infatuated with Nellie. They got married. What else would they do, you know? This was now Nellie's third husband. It was about a year after they got married that they decided to move to Los Angeles, California. In case you didn't know where that was, Eric. In California. Shortly after arriving in L.A., Nellie filed for divorce. So she now has three (laughs) ex-husbands and she's not even 30 years old yet. Teach their own. I'm not judging. I am. (laughs) Although when she was 30 years old in 1925, she met William Brown, who was a very well-known Los Angeles attorney. And what did they do? They got married. Why not? Nellie and William were together for five whole years, Nellie's longest marriage, before the two got divorced in 1930. Add another notch. (laughs) Nellie decided she needed a change in her life, so she packed up. And she moved to Palm Springs, California. Maybe she should find another husband. (laughs) (laughs) Who knows? Who fucking knows? So she picks up a job um, as a manager, actually, at the Desert Inn. Like, I think it was some, like, a motel. Interesting fact. Yes. Interesting fact. um, I was actually researching because I was, like, wondering if this Desert Inn was still there in Palm Springs, which I don't believe it is. They built, you know, tore it down, built some other stuff. But this woman named Nellie Kaufman was the one that, like decided that she wanted to build this whole desert in and everything. I just thought that was kind of crazy that there was two Nellies. Two. So anyways, this hotel attracted a lot of celebrities and exclusive guests. Nellie did work at the desert Inn for a few years. And believe it or not, she never got married while she worked there. But she did end up meeting a guy named Eric Madison in spring of 1933. And she ended up quitting working at the desert Inn. And Nellie was into him like crazy. Eric was a musician and a businessman. He always dressed well and he drove around in his sporty coupe car and he had a big, he had just like really big ambitions for his life. Coupe car? Am I saying that right? Yeah. Okay. All One the of them coupe cars. <laughs> I had to look it up. It was like a little sports car. Yeah. I was wondering what that was. So all the ladies loved Eric because he was so charming. And that's just what Nellie loved about him the most. They were together for only a few months before Eric believe it or not, proposed to Nellie. And of course, she said yes. Jesus Christ. So at this time, Nellie is 39 years old and Eric is 42 years old. And this would now be her fifth husband when the couple married in Salt Lake City, Utah, July of 1933. So Nellie was really hoping that, you know, this relationship, it would work and it would last forever. Before moving to Southern California, where they rented an apartment in Burbank, they stopped in Dillon, Montana to pick up $1,000 that um, Nellie actually inherited from her family. So when the two settled in their new apartment in Burbank, they both obtained jobs at Warner Brothers Studios. We've been there. Yep. I took you to go see Friends because I love Friends so much. It's awesome if you live in this area. Go get a tour. It's awesome. Anyways, um, Eric would tend to be rude and aggressive, and he had a a temper and he just couldn't control it. And just after two weeks of working at the Warner Brothers studios, he got fired. Jack Warner, one of the brothers behind the Warner Brothers studios, fired Eric himself. Like after Eric had shoved and yelled at one of the directors, Alfred Green. (laughs) 
Like, that's crazy. Okay, anyway, so this is where Nellie started to really see who her new husband, Eric, really was. Eric was actually an abusive schemer, and he had many affairs during their marriage. Not only did Eric have a hard time keeping a job, but he would continuously mock Nellie, as well as beat on her. He even told her that the only reason he married her was because she had money. So that $1,000 that she inherited that they went and picked up, he was like, I, you know, that's a lot of money back then, so... Like, he just blew through her money and just, that's the only reason he married her and just kept telling her that. Since Eric had no job and Nellie was at work all the time, and he would just spend days on days, like, at the apartment with no job, uh, one day Nellie came home to find Eric in bed with a 16-year-old. Ew. And I remember I said Eric's 42 at this time. And most of his affairs, like, he, I was saying he had many of them, were all, like, teenage girls. That's disgusting. So Nellie was furious as anyone would be, but instead Eric of but instead of Eric apologizing and trying to calm his wife down, <laughs> Eric gets very angry and starts yelling at Nellie while beating her. Eric even went so far as making Nellie write a note stating that they had a fake marriage and that she was the one cheating on her husband. The abuse went on to like this extreme for six days and Nellie decided that she needed something to protect herself from her husband in case things get like really out of control. She claimed she wanted to scare Eric with the gun or with a gun. So, um, so that way, like she was able to destroy this note that he made her write. So she went out and she bought a 3220 Colt revolver gun for her protection one day. And on March 24th, 1934, unfortunately Nellie would have to use this gun. On this night, around midnight, Nellie and Eric were arguing per usual, and while Eric was laying in bed, Nellie grabbed her gun and stood at the foot of the bed, pointing it at her husband. Nellie says that her intention was just to, like, threaten him, like I was saying, because of this whole note and everything, but this actually didn't scare Eric. He actually just got more angry and started yelling at Nellie again and even threatening to kill her. This blows my mind. Eric gets up and reaches under the bed and takes out a box of knives that he had under there. And it starts throwing them at Nellie, the but fuck? never hitting her. Who has a fucking box of knives under your bed? I just never, I just did not get that when I was reading that. A box of knives. Box of knives. Some one source said butcher knives and then, yeah, another one just said knives. But yeah, and started throwing them. I just like, yeah, I was like, who, keep, like, what the fuck? So as Eric went to go grab another knife after like throwing a couple at her, Nellie shot him in the back four times, killing him. He fell on the floor and he died pretty quickly. Neighbors quickly started gathering in the hall of the apartment because they had just heard all these gunshots. The landlord ended up knocking on apartment 123 as to where they believe the shooting came from and Nellie answered the door. I can't believe, like, <laughs> I was, another thing I was thinking... You hear gunshots. I don't know. This is back in the day. I don't know. Maybe it's different now. But you hear gunshots. My first instinct is not to leave my fucking apartment. I would never go out. Like, what if that shooter's still there? Yeah. You know? Like, so everyone gathering in the hall just, like, kind of blew my mind. And then the fact that, um, I'll go on to say that the landlord says, to, you know, through the door, like, you know, are you all right? And Nellie replies, everything's quiet in my apartment. <laughs> <laughs> So it's like, and then that's another thing, this landlord to go up to the door, like what if he gets shot, you know, assuming that he had the right apartment, which he did. So she stated, um, she actually went in the hall with everyone too. And she started like, oh my God, like I heard the gunshots too. And then she stated that she was claiming that maybe the shooting was coming from the Warner Brothers studios because 
like I mentioned, they live super, super close, like really close to, mm. to the, you know, the studios. And they were filming a gangster movie and that it was coming from the film set. These gunshots. That was that's what she's claiming. Everyone's like, yeah, you know what? <laughs> that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah, I think you're right. So but I got a box of knives in here. <laughs> So yeah, everyone's like, okay, so they go back and they go to sleep. But just a few hours later, before um, uh, on the early morning of March 25th, a neighbor stated that they saw Nellie leaving her apartment and she looked pale and she had a small box like under her arm. Nellie made her way to Fraser Park to a remote cabin, which is about an hour away from Burbank, where Nellie and Eric were living. Police did discover Eric's body the next day after Nellie shot him, and her former brother-in-law went to authorities and told them that she might be in this cabin in Fraser Park. And that's exactly where they found her. They found her in a closet, and the police stated, Come out, Nellie. Come on out. And then she said, Why? What's the matter? <laughs> police say, Where's the, gun? Where's the gun? And then Nellie states that there's one in the car, but upon finding a gun in the car, they discovered that it wasn't the murder weapon that she had used to kill her husband. And actually, it's never been recovered from what I read. Nellie was eventually arrested for the murder of her husband. Without truly knowing the whole story, Los Angeles County District Attorney Burren Fitz stated that he was seeking the death penalty in this case right away. According to the People versus Nellie May Madison, this is what they found, according to that day. Quote, about four o'clock on Sunday afternoon, March 25th, 1934, a body identified as that of Eric D. Madison was found in the room occupied by the couple in an apartment house in the city of Burbank in Los Angeles County. The evidence also showed that four out of six bullets fired from a 3220 Colt revolver pierced the body. The shots were shown to have been fired at close range. One of them pierced the head coming out at the corner of the left eye near the nose. Another entered the back and passed through the great aorta into the liver. Some pierced the mattress and bedding and lodged in the floor beneath the bed. Others lodged into the wall. The body of the deceased was found clad only in underwear, lying partly on the floor with the left arm over a chair. There were large blood stains on the bed linen and, un and the underclothing on the deceased was bloodstained. The evidence satisfactorily established that the body had been dead more than 12 hours, unquote. So this case got a lot of coverage. Like people were all, they were like, no pun intended, dying to be in this courtroom. They, they wanted to see what was like, what was going to about to you know, play out. So the media portrayed Nellie as a cold calculated killer and named her, quote, the Enigma woman or the Sphinx woman. Nellie's lawyer came up with a story for Nellie to like kind of like tell, stating that an unknown man was in her apartment that day and that Eric's still alive. He's still alive out there somewhere. Well, it was just some other man. <laughs> yeah, and that Nellie never shot him. And she like was starting to almost like believe it. And that's what she stated. So Nellie went along with this. Yeah. And she said, quote, the person in the coffin did not resemble my husband. I believe he is alive, unquote. But nobody bought this story. And on July 5th, which is a great day, everybody, because it's my birthday. Anyways, a judge sentenced Nellie to be hanged on September 24th, 1934 in San Quentin, making her the first woman in California to die by hanging. How crazy is that? So she was sent to a woman's institution where she was placed in solitary confinement to await her execution. Although a journalist by the name of Aggie Underwood was researching her case and found more on Eric's history of abuse, cheating on his spouses with minors, 
and that Nellie needed to fight to have her execution called off. Nellie was looking to get her execution waived and wanted to get, you know, she was like, maybe, maybe I'm going to reduce it like to 15 years with possibility of parole. She was told that she had to contact the Tehachapi Board of Trustees in order for anything to happen. And that's exactly what she did. So this is a letter she wrote to the executive secretary, Mr. Stanley Mosk. She wrote, Dear Mr. Mosk, Will you not kindly inform me as to the present status of my clemency application? I do not wish to be troublesome, but I do not know how else to become cognizant of the situation. After the denial of my application for a pardon by the Advisory Pardon Board in August 1939, the Board of Trustees of the California Institution for Women, at their meeting February 10, 1940, after going over the matter thoroughly, made a recommendation to the governor and to the Advisory Pardon Board that my life sentence be commuted to 15 years. In the view of the favorable recommendation made by the Tehachapi Board of Trustees, would it mean that my case has been or will be re-referred to the advisory board for consideration and recommendation, or it is incumbent upon me to request the same before that can be done? I am sorry if I appear stupid and trust you will overlook my failure to conform to the requirements in such matters. I shall greatly appreciate it, Mr. Mosk, if you will call this matter to the attention of His Excellency Governor Colbert L. Olson and assure him of my heartfelt thanks for whatever action he sees fit to take. Believe me, I shall be most grateful for you, for your trouble, and the trust that I may hear from you regarding this matter. Respectfully, Nellie Madison. After this letter was received, it got the attention of Governor California Governor Frank Mirren, who signed off on her sentence being reduced and he spared her life. So it worked. Wow. Less than sending this letter. Yeah. So Nellie was to serve 15 years and she was now eligible for parole. But she ended up actually being released from prison March 24th, 1943, after nine years in prison. And you best believe she found her sixth husband, John Wagner, who was a house painter. And they moved to San Bernardino, California, and they in the fall of 1944. And they remained married until she passed away from a stroke in 1953. Wow. So that's the story of... One more notch on the belt. Murder. No. <laughs> six, six one. She had to get that last one. Um, I think this is the first time I'm going to say that he, as, you know, he did not deserve to die. But he was not the fucking best person in the world. He was literally like a bad person, abusive, and a fucking pedophile. He didn't deserve to die, but he's not the best person on earth. And he did attack her with a box of knives. Yeah, exactly. Yes. And beat her and like, yeah, not cool. This guy sucks. Um, but during, when I was like researching this too, I was like hanging. Like I thought that, maybe I'm just crazy, but I thought that ended way before 1930s. Did you? Did you know that? I don't know. But so I looked no. it up and... Actually, the last hanging in the United States was August 14th, 1936, and it was Rainy Bethia, and he publicly got hanged for rape in Kentucky. And then the last hanging in California was August 27th, 1937. So that's pretty crazy. I just had to look that up because I thought that was really interesting. So that's the story of Nellie. I hope you liked it, guys. Thanks for tuning in. And... You know, if a husband doesn't work out, keep trying. Exactly. You can, might as well. Shit. <laughs> might as well. Anyways, rate, review, do a lot of fun stuff. Tell your friend, tell your family member, whatever you want to do. I don't know. We really appreciate you guys listening. And we have another episode coming out next Monday. And I love you guys.
Rochelle. And I love you, Eric. I love these stories. And you love me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, be safe. Stay aware. Peace. Peace.